Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fan Fiction Tapes. Unfortunately, Maya has been seeking forbidden knowledge and is currently experiencing the horrors, so I am your host today, Ian. Pronouns are he, him. I am joined by... I'm Dylan. Pronouns, Dylan. I'm Barry, ready for more scares. Good, because today's topic is one of my favorite genres, cosmic horror. Cthulhu uh, photography. Yeah, yeah. Last year. <laughs> <laughs> what is cosmic horror? It's spooky. Also known as Lovecraftian horror, after the writer who basically invented the genre, H.P. Lovecraft. Cosmic horror is a genre that derives its terror fundamentally from fear of the unknown and the unknowable. The universe, according to Cosmic Horror, is fundamentally a vast, uncaring, comfortless place, and humans have collectively repressed our awareness of that. There are things out there, beyond the stars, greater than anything we know, who would regard us as ants if they ever bothered to take notice of us, and if they did, we would all go mad from the revelation of even a glimpse at the truth of reality. And that's why I love it so much. I know, right? <laughs> it's, ooh, since chills down my spines at the thought. It's so fundamentally spooky that it just inspires so much thought. So I don't think we can really talk about Cosmic Horror without actually mentioning a bit about Howard Phillips Lovecraft and his life. So... H.P. Lovecraft was born in Massachusetts in 1890, died in 1937 of, I believe it was, intestinal cancer. He unfortunately never had a great deal of success with his writing career in his own life. So even though modern writers like Stephen King consider him to be or at least consider his best works the greatest works of horror in the 20th century. Yeah. It's a, one of those common tragedies of artists. Edgar Allan Poe, Vincent van Gogh, you know, those guys who are considered great now but never got recognition in their time. Now, you may have noticed the time period, 1890 to 1937, so, yeah, Lovecraft was a white guy in America at the beginning of the 20th century, so naturally, you can assume he's racist. He was competitively racist. Yeah, I do think, you know, I, I'm just playing on some of my historical brain fact, you know, and you said Massachusetts, and that's where he, like, was always from? Yeah. That's a little surprising for me. Is it, like, rural Massachusetts? Like was he uh, like I think he he uh let me let me double check. Lovecraft Oh, sorry, no. He was born in Providence, Rhode Island. There mm. you go. Providence. Yeah. Suddenly makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? <laughs> so for for those outside the US and actually for those for many inside the US, Providence is actually the capital of Rhode Island. So it's I not it's not small rural town. No. <laughs> Yeah, I would would stress about it to say I would be surprised if someone from that area, considering what I've heard about his racism, 
because, you know, turn of the century, I, I, I still would have thought he'd be like, you know, uh, not as racist as I've heard him to be. But nope. Rhode Island, uh, it makes a bit more sense, I feel like. <laughs> like To put this into perspective, the dude was crazy racist even for the time period. Like, oh, sure, nuts. yeah. And we're talking about the time period where Jim Crow is, you know, swinging and hitting. <laughs> Those Jim Crow laws, you know. Uh, oh, I know. You know, segregation. <laughs> and he's like, let me take it a step further, lads. <laughs> But if you do look at, like, you know, even, and probably not this time period, but the time period a little while after, you know, post-war, it's softened a lot, and, you know, eventually, by the 60s and 70s, we do get civil rights movement and stuff. I'm just surprised, because obviously, the North was a lot kinder to, uh, Mm. (laughs) you know, people of color. (laughs) I mean, in the sense that they didn't practice chattel slavery in the North, but... By, by this time period, you know, even. <laughs> you know. It, we are talking about, what are we, 30, 40 years post? Um, yeah, okay. Uh, post-slavery? That's true, that's true. It's... Like, like, I would have said, like, unless he was a big proponent of the Lost Cause thing like maybe that was his thing he was a big confederate guy <laughs> ah, no <laughs> the, the, the speculation you know a good old uh woodrow wilson type guy that's his era you know mm-hmm. all i'll say about it is that if lovecraft had lived to see like the the civil rights movement he would have shit himself well younger lovecraft maybe he did kind of come around in like his later years after experiencing the great depression he kind of started walking back his younger views I also we say younger views if, if i'm doing my he, math correct this guy, guy died of 47 you know 46 actually yeah 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 so yeah like if you look at that and think okay this guy w- was saying dumb stuff in like his 20s and 30s and then his 40s was like actually you know you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like you think about how many people today said dumb stuff 20 years ago and you know i bet there's a lot of authors a lot of celebrities that we could have a go about and say look how all this stupid stuff they did and or said and you know not to the level obviously of his but so at the end of the day, super mega racist. But you know, let's let's blame the real villains here, and that's the government who, uh, you know, allowed him to exist in the first place. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, go on. Let's stop talking about the reality of horror and the horror of reality. <laughs> let's let's change over. The racism is unfortunately an important point here, <laughs> because it it does fundamentally stem from the fact that he was just an incredible ball of anxiety. He was racist, but he was also agoraphobic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So other people and being outside and new things scared him all the time. I relate so hard. (laughs) I don't relate in the way he did it, but 
I feel it. <laughs> no, but yeah. And so this this whole thing where where cosmic horror is human civilization is a thin veneer over a reality that is terrifying. Well, that is like if you paint a perspective, like like we say, oh, you know, we're shut-ins or whatever, and we have the same stuff, but we also have the internet, <laughs> and like yeah, we can build community that way and socialize and get variety of information. He grew up in like well, what would he have had? Newspapers and like his parents, <laughs> and like people who came to his house. That's his influence. If those people were racist, he likely turned out the same. You know, especially if a fear of people easy to sway him. You know, like I don't want to be totally sympathetic. I'm more just saying, look, it makes sense. <laughs> I would like to note that. His father was institutionalized when he was a child. Mm-hmm. And then his mother was institutionalized when he was a young man. Uh-huh. So he didn't exactly have the most emotionally stable childhood, and he didn't have either an emotionally stable or a financially stable adulthood. True. I mean, Depression era. <laughs> oh, yeah. The seven richest kings of Europe were financially stable, even at that. <laughs> Well, the Depression era didn't really hit until the uh, near the end of his life. I mean, the Depression, Depression started it, in 1929. Yeah, but once again, <laughs> he's like, what, 40? <laughs> yeah. You know, financial yeah, crisis not, when you, we're 40, we're like, Jesus, this is like, oops, next did 70 not years. really get to benefit from the Roaring Twenties. No. So, this this... Anxiety really comes through in one of one of the hallmarks of cosmic horror is how bleak it is. There's a there's I, I believe this is a quote from from China Meville uh, that the horror of it comes from realization, not intrusion. So I've been reading Dracula Daily lately, and a lot of the horror of that comes from. This vampire from Eastern Europe has intruded into the lives of these people in London. In cosmic horror, it's not like that. There's always something there. We've just got our blinders on and can't see it. Yeah. Cosmic horror is more about the idea that something unknowable has always been there instead of the idea that something knowable is coming. One builds dread and the other one is instant fear and anxiety and confusion. Right. Yeah, it, it's like, well, this has actually always been here and hasn't done anything to you, but now that you've realized that it's there, oh yeah, you, unfortunately uh, you are, yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Bye. <laughs> Some sometimes stuff like this can can come out of, you know, real science. Like <laughs> have you guys ever heard of the idea of metastability? Metastability. I I have not. Okay. So there's this idea in physics 
energy tries to spread out, right? That's the whole idea of thermodynamics. Energy always tries to go into the lowest possible state, like water flowing down a hill. Yes. If you build a reservoir into the side of a hill, you can actually catch that water flowing down and stop it from actually getting into a true lowest state. So it's possible that the entire universe sort of exists in this natural dip in the side of the hill that is the ener- the lowest possible energy state of the universe. And if, for some reason, the universe, some, some point in the universe manages to jump over that barrier and start rolling into the lowest true energy state, there would be this bubble of expanding true low energy that would completely obliterate and rewrite the laws of of physics and space-time, and we would never be able to see it coming. The universe could just pop like a soap bubble someday, and we wouldn't have any way of knowing about it. Sleep tight. I mean, the problem problem with this is it hasn't happened in a in a billions of years, what is the chance that in our brief, very brief lifetimes in comparison, that it would happen? <laughs> you, you know, you really just have to take refuge in that thought with with things like that. Yeah, pretty much. The time you scales know, are so vast as to be un- uncomprehendable. But when you think like stuff like that, like as an, a person, it's like even as a Brit, I'm more likely to get shot than that happening. <laughs> As an American, you're way more likely to get shot than me getting shot. So what's the chances, you know, of that happening before you get shot? Or even being in a fucking car crash, a plane crash, a nuclear bomb going off. Like, these things are far more likely. And even that, that they are very unlikely. Speak for yourself. Some people are proud of our Walmart shootings. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm I'm already, like, burnt out, like, on luck and, like, low probability. I, I come from, I have a family member who's a lottery word winner. I'm like, okay, no low percent chances thing is ever going to happen to me again. <laughs> if luck exists, then I don't know it's a finite resource. It's, it's not, but it's, like, likelihood, right? Like... If you have one low likelihood thing of happening happens to you in your lifetime, what's the chances another one will? It's I know like, some people. It it's just you know a random number generator. If the RNG says there's like a zero point zero zero one percent of this happening, how many times in your life will that dice roll that number? <laughs> Remind me to introduce you to a guy named Timothy Dexter. That was a lucky bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, obviously there are people who, you know, like Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton rolls badly on dice, no matter what, more often than anyone else. We do have (laughs) outliers. but I don't think you're allowed to bring Will Wheaton up in the presence of Matt Mercer anymore, for instance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but but it's like, outliers exist. (laughs) Uh, but anyway, about, about this uh, cosmic horror, uh, what do we want to talk about about it? Bleak. Well, yeah. Uh, the unspeakable of it, horrors uh, cannot be destroyed. 
They can only yeah. turn towards the head. Now, I'm not very well-versed. The most cosmic horror I've ever dealt with is It. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is arguably the greatest of cosmic horrors, I'd say. No. Too bad, I've just said it. <laughs> I'm a I big, mean, I'm a big king You guy. can be wrong. You're allowed it's, to be wrong, Dylan. It's fine. Yeah. I don't think there's, like, outside of Cthulhu themselves, but that's more just because of the idea of Cthulhu. Pennywise, like it, it the dancing is, clown, is the most well-known cosmic horror. No, not even that. Where's your receipts? Give me the names. Warhammer 40k, Event Horizon, That's, The Flood th- Those Halo. are not more well-known than Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Yes, Who's they that? are, bitch! They're not! They we are! Have num- we have numbers for this. Two movies. TV Two movies series. is a lot but, of numbers. Yeah. Okay, so how many numbers has Halo gotten? You're talking about a video game franchise that we have, like, measures of, like, uh, so many games, and, and also Halo's... You know, you said Halo. You yeah, know, what, some what of... aspect? <laughs> the fact that there are unknowable precursors to humanity that are utterly indescribable, more powerful than us, and have left relic start history that we don't, can only hope to somewhat yeah, understand. Yeah, I said... What I said was the most iconic character... Is Pennywise the Dancing Clown? You did not name a character thing. I oh, said the only thing that that is Narla more Thotep. iconic. I don't know what that is, so you're, you're gonna find <laughs> out. But, but it's not as iconic, is it? Because I'm a normie, yes, yes, and I don't and I don't know what it is. So <laughs> you you bring up Pennywise the Dancing Clown as yeah. the most well known cosmic horror, and it is definitely an eldritch abomination. If I'm remembering that story correctly, though, they managed to defeat it. Yes. Yes. So it's not You can't horror. do that in a cosmic horror. It's, at best, Lovecraft light. Mm. In, in cosmic count. horror, you never beat the monster. Oh, not, not with gatekeeping. Not without. Oh, no. It's, <laughs> it's literally the point of the gatekeeping genre. Gatekeeping is not wrong. Sometimes <laughs> you need to set boundaries. <laughs> Dylan, I will gatekeep you from some bitches if you say it is more cosmic horror than Lovecraft Light. <laughs> it's it is definitely a horror. Mm-hmm. It's just not cosmic horror. It's a different genre. It's a different subgenre. I mean, it came from outer space. So what? What is? What is it then? What do you mean? Snow came from outer space. Specific. That is how water happened. Meteors, water, space. Water is from space. Is water horrifying to you? I mean, if you're trapped in the middle of the ocean, yeah, kinda. But that's just splitting hairs, then, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, I'm just like, you know, I'm a total normie. And also, how you talk about bleak endings and, like, usually they don't okay. win. I'll, I'll oh. walk that back a little bit. Mm-hmm. You can win in Cosmic Horror. Mm-hmm. But it's basically you're really only allowed to have a Pyrrhic victory. I mean, be fair, the guy did die at the, in the, the end of it. It's a Pyrrhic victory. That's not really, no, that, that's not. I mean, they won, but what at, at what cost? One dude. That was the cost. Yeah. yeah. That means a lot. 
When is your best friend? Come on. Have some sympathy. <laughs> well, okay, well, to be fair, if you died, I would consider that a great loss. So Yeah. So you don't know if it'd be That's Eric, Okay. But... <laughs> Yeah, it sounds uh, yeah, Pyrrhic Nico's victory. <laughs> ashes to ashes, dust to dust. <laughs> oh, she I shall live on night. forever in their lungs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what what a a lot I get from cosmic horror is like when I think about it, it's things are undescribable is the idea, but the most re- representation you get is mostly very describable things. <laughs> uh, because as as humans, we can't describe something indescribable. Well, it, yeah, that is that is a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, I I think I tend to think it's less indescribable in general and more indescribable as life as we know it, because. Some of these descriptions do not sound like they should even function as living beings. So, in a sense, that's still beyond what we can understand, even if it's not, like, completely blanked out. Sure, but indescribable in my mind is the human mind cannot describe it at all. It it is something... That it it does not have a body, we cannot relate, it cannot be explained. You cannot go, well, here's what this is. Like it like I say, it's difficult to explain because you shouldn't be able to explain it. But as humans, we have to explain it so we can understand sort of the narrative of whatever the writer of a cosmic horror is going for. That's why some cosmic horror writers don't. Describe its true form. They're avatars. Yeah, even Pennywise, we don't really see their true form. Their true form is like a giant sort of spider thing in the end. But for most of the time, we're just seeing Pennywise is the character's fear, whoever he is haunting, and he and they are seeing him is their greatest fear. Bitch got killed by a turtle. <laughs> A lot of times in in um, cosmic horror writing, you will literally have the the narrator say, "I cannot find the words to describe it." Mm-hmm. Possibly then stumbling through some metaphors and comparisons that they then say, but even that's not really anywhere close. Or alternatively, they'll have a. I'm I'm thinking in particular of there's a Lovecraft short story. I'm blanking on the name of it. It's not the Call of Cthulhu. It's not Shadow of Inns over Innsmouth. Take your time. Yeah, but while you look that up, I, yeah, it's sort of like I, um, it's probably one of my reasons I'm not into cosmic horror. Like, if you want to know what Dylan's favorite horror is, Dylan's favorite horror horror is um. I I like to feel mentally exhausted. <laughs> oh, so your favorite yeah. horror is grocery store work. I, I actually have PTSD from working at a grocery store. Don't even joke. 
I'm I'm dead ass. Oh, oh I'm not joking. <laughs> Retail is terrifying. Oh yeah. Those five AM wake ups, ten hour shifts. Sheesh. And for not much pay? <laughs> you're gonna drag me out of bed for that early for this shit? No thanks. You know, they passed they passed a law in California to raise fast food minimum wage to twenty dollars. Uh yeah, but then you know, what about the tipping culture? Can't get tips. That's stupid. Tipping culture is dumb. My parents just came back from America and they said, like, someone came up to them and they were like, Can you, t- would you like to tip? And they were just like, Nope. <laughs> Why not? They don't make much money. They need tips. Well, yeah, but it's not the prerogative of a European to tip them then. Just get better wages. Make your government give you better wages. And you do that by voting for the people. Who want to up your wages? People America. Don't vote for the people they like. The electoral colleges vote for the people who are funniest. Yeah, but that's why you have to vote for, at local levels, isn't it? The Dunwich Horror. Thank Dunwich you. Horror. Good job. There we go. Okay. So there's a point in the Dunwich Horror where there's an invisible monster attacking a small town mm-hmm. in the Dunwich Horror. That's the main plot of the book involves that. Mm-hmm. And uh, some scientists come from the nearby town to combat the invisible monster, and one of them manages to draw on, you know, mystical knowledge to create a device that allows people to see the creature. And none of the viewpoint protagonists see it directly. We get this one scene where one of the townspeople looks at it and sees it and just goes into hysterics over it. So that's one of the ways that indescribability is dealt with. Mm. It's just overwhelmed. You, you just get a depiction of a character being overwhelmed by the experience. Mm. Deep sea oceanographers be like, <laughs> yeah and i think that is like the way it's it's weird that the that genre or like that idea is built around okay we just have to be people scared of seeing something we don't have to describe it but it's so scary it, it makes them you know die or whatever <laughs> they become oh. mentally yeah. unstable just from seeing it it's uh, like the horrors of the yeah, mind are scarier than the horrors described. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't you don't have to describe it. You just let people's reactions to it give an impression. Yeah, I find that the way Lovecraft especially described them is that he just described a few features and only in metaphor and let you think of the rest. And he used a lot of adjectives. In general, but also a lot of adjectives in particular that convey enormous size. Cthulhu himself is never actually described in The Call of Cthulhu. Is he described in the expanded media? <laughs> so, the, actually, the popular image, the popular image of Cthulhu as this giant humanoid with a squid head and wing, bat wings, is described as that of this idol that is found that that a cult is worshipping 
in the call of Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. But when Cthulhu himself wakes up, the only description we get is it is as though a mountain moved or stumbled. The being itself is not described. Now, to be fair, to be fair, Lovecraft did sketch him, and it it looks about like that. Cthulhu is just a guy named Tim. <laughs> Here's a fun fact about the sketch that no one who's adapted the character sense tends to use. Three eyes on the, each side of his head. Not two eyes total. Three eyes each side. I Actually, I think it's three eyes on one side. One eye on the other. Oh, it might be, yeah. My favorite I, I do remember that's, that's a detail one. that gets left out. The, the yeah, eyes are that's, that's also fair. That's fair. Man, his depth perception must be awful. <laughs> so, do you want to tell me about this mythos, old... Yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're talking about Cthulhu. Let's, uh, let's, let's expand on the, the Cthulhu mythos a bit. Run through it quick. So, first thing I'd like to point out, uh, for people who are not, like, into it like I am, well, I am into it. I'm saying, like, not into it as much as I am, is it's not just Lovecraft. It was yeah. essentially a public domain project between him and his buddies to write spooky shit. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a shared universe. Yep. And like Lovecraft started it, but the guy who kind of did the most work in like expanding it and codifying it is August Derleth. Very fun last name, by the way. Yeah. I'm not quite so familiar with his works, actually. He created quite a few new entities and established sort of this elemental chart where each creature would be defined which i always thought the elemental chart was a little dumb because why would you have like predetermined earth elements for space gods but you know whatever it's the human mind trying to cope and put them in a box okay that's one of the horror aspects how can't you understand this cosmic horror man (laughs) i guess that works i guess that works it's called coping (laughs) and they were coping i cope every day (laughs) Well, my coping mechanism's Mountain Dew, so maybe I can't relate. And that's more horrifying than anything that Lovecraft wrote. (laughs) Shut. Cease your slander. Someone's never drinking Code Red. Drank Code Red? No, I just drink water. Tap or bottled? Both. Fair. The source of all life. I only drink Code Red when I'm having trouble sleeping. That's fair. Wait, what? What's this mythos then? So, what what actually happens? What's going on okay, here, officer? Well, Tell me. <laughs> yeah. There's not really a pre-established timeline, but I can give you the cliff notes of the craziest shit. So, first things first, the universe was essentially accidentally smashed into existence by a nuclear god. And afterwards, he was a blind idiot. His name's Azathoth, by the way. If he ever wakes up, the universe ends. Yeah, but he's too stupid to ever wake up, so what are you going to do, right? And then there's other gods that either spawned from him or spawned from his spawn or spawned from his spawn spawn, uh, like Shubnigura, who I'm sure was spelled, as, spelled and named as such because of 
Lovecraft's horrible racism. Look it up. Uh, the Mother of a Thousand Young. The uh, the goat. Something with goats. She's a goat. I don't know. She doesn't look like a goat, but she's a goat. She's also the final boss of Quake. Then there's Yogg-Sothoth, a bunch of floating orbs that like knocking women up. Mm-hmm. So uh, do with that what you will. Then there's Cthulhu, obviously. Uh, he likes water. He also abuses his daughter because she's going to give birth to his reincarnation should he ever permanently die. Which is weird, but okay, do what you want. Or don't. That's that's terrible. But he, he wants it. And then there's my favorite entity in the mythos. Nyarlathotep. The direct son of Azathoth and his herald, basically. He's this jovial, shape-shifting, many-avatared asshole who delights in chaos and malice. He was also an Egyptian pharaoh once. <laughs> Do with that what you will. And, uh, have you ever seen Reanimator? Yeah, that's in the same universe. So, Herbert West, zombies, all that, yeah, same thing. Uh, Miskatonic University, Massachusetts. Go Miskies. Then there's... What was his name? Lovecraft has his own Stephen King Dark Tower author avatar in the mythos. I don't remember what he's named right now. I keep wanting to say Aleister Crowley, but that's that's not him. No. R something. Ray... Roland... Raymond... something. Randolph Carter. That wasn't close to Ah. anything I just said. (laughs) I mean, you argued for the R... That's true. So essentially, the mythos is a bunch of horrifying things from space that most of them don't care about us. Norlethotep hates us. But he's, like, fun about it. And then it's humans realizing these things exist and slowly going mad. Or very quickly going mad. Or both. And that's the uh, poorly explained abridged cliff notes of the mythos. All right. So... A lot of it sounds about what I'd expect from a mythos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weird things wanna wanna fuck. Weird things hate people. You know, it's just like the Greek gods, you know? Except the Greek gods yeah. may be bigger assholes. <laughs> if you put Nyarlathotep and Zeus in an asshole off, I think they would just end up killing each other. Not before one of them impregnated the other. (laughs) (laughs) I think the biggest difference between the Cthulhu mythos and, like, real pantheons, like the Greek deities, is that the Greek deities were supposed to be an expansion of human morality, right? Mm -hmm. Nyarlathotep is the only being in the Cthulhu mythos pantheon that is in any way relatable to human psychology. And he's a sociopath. Yeah. Everything Mm. else is just sort of beyond good and evil. They're ambivalent. They're apathetic. Yeah. They operate at a scale that is so far beyond humans that our morality cannot apply. All right. You want to tell me about... The wonder. 
good old wonder. Cosmic wonder. Cosmic wonder. I guess that's just cosmic horror, but the universe is awesome. Actually, so, Stellaris. Mm. This uh this is this is actually from from a letter that uh one of our fans sent us recently. Um Elise uh mentioned oh? a take on powers beyond comprehension. Something great that will work through you to do good though it might kill you in the process. Uh, and I've seen I've uh. seen other takes on this on um Tumblr of sort of taking the opposite of things beyond human comprehension that treat us as ants. Well, don't humans sometimes keep ants as pets? Believe it or not, this has mythos. Like tie-in. Because there's the... I think they're called the Outer Gods? Uh, no, no, the Elder Gods. Because mm. there's... Beings like Bast, the elder god of cats, yeah, the Greek, the Egypt, the Egyptian one, and uh, Nodens, the arch enemy of Nerlethotep, who he he's not really too compassionate to humanity, but he helps us. And then there's, according to TV tropes, there's one named Vorvados, who first appeared in the in the Invaders by Harry by Henry Kutner. I can't read. And he's just kind of there. He likes fire and silver. And then there's cats. Because the cats are good guys, too. They, uh... Cats can enter the dreamlands. Long story. Yeah, that's... But they're, they're, that's that's a little... little um, A little thing about H.P. Lovecraft is that... He was a major cat person. <laughs> and cat guy. he's... He actually wrote an essay about how cats are superior to dogs. <laughs> I mean, I'm a cat person too, so I mean, I'll give him this one. Nah, he went, he went way over the top with it. Dog, I will dogs say, dogs all the way, man. They're good guys. They're the good guys. Here. You'll agree to di- we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> but yes, there is sort of a unknowable good to the unknowable evil in even the original mythos. Even if I'm not sure Lovecraft, other than the cats, really engaged in it at all. Hmm. I do I do think that there is even even in this the the wonder side of it there there can be a horror in it because oh, how would you react to something that loves you and is fascinated by you but cannot truly understand you and what you need and vice versa oh, you're just sounding like you know someone who's you know, psychoanalyzing a, a Christian now. <laughs> Any Abrahamic religion. <laughs> oh. <Yeah. laughs> you know, in the end, you're realizing a cosmic wonder is just an allegory for God. <laughs> this is literally reminding me of the people who speak in tongues at church. <laughs> I don't go to I don't go to church anymore, but some people do that. So, what about you guys' favorite work? Because obviously I don't have any. I'm not a, a cosmic cosmic guy. Oh, boy. Let me see what counts as cosmic horror. Because <laughs> there's a lot. And I love it. A lot of it. Ian, do you have uh, anything off the top of your head? Well, off the top of my head, probably the most recent work of cosmic horror that I've read and enjoyed is 
The Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher. <laughs> In summary, a young woman recently divorced moves back to her uncle's house slash Museum of Oddities in a small town in South Carolina. or No, sorry, North Carolina. I was about to say that was really scary in South Carolina. Yeah. It's a love day. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> at least it's not Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that one. Yeah. And then a hole appears in a concrete wall that goes into a bunker somewhere else. And when she follows the hole and goes out of the bunker, she finds herself in this sort of idyllic pastoral scene of a river lined with willows. And only willows. Willows as far as the eye can see. Oh. When the light hits the willows just right, the negative space framed by them seems to animate. And then she finds out that there are giant things that you cannot see, but you can kind of hear them coming. And if they're hungry, they'll just eat you. By just taking just sections of, of space and whatever's there, people, the ground, whatever, will just sort of disappear. And if they're not hungry, they play with their food. Not to spoil anything, you don't want that to happen to you. <laughs> right. Death will be a relief. And Barry, your favorite? Oh, God, there's so much. But I think if I have to pick just one... For the podcast, it would be the one I've been building up to since, I think, last episode, or the episode before, which is the film Event Horizon. Mm. This is a live-action film starring... What was his name? The guy who plays um, Grant in Jurassic Park. And Lawrence Fishburne. And it basically a... Starship called Event Horizon disappears, and then seven years later, it comes back with a distress signal. When they get aboard, they realize that something horrifying happened, and they don't know what. Like, everyone's gone, everyone's dead, there are noises throughout the ship, they see things that aren't really there. And essentially what happens is it turns out it came out in 1997. So who cares about spoilers? It turns out that when the starship experimental starship went through hyperspace for the first time, it was hell basically or literally. And everyone on board went insane killed each other, banged each other, then killed each other, killed each other, then banged each other, and essentially destroyed everything around them. And it's implied that both the ship and the hell universe are alive, and essentially echoing the horrors through eternity, speaking through people and making them hallucinate, driving them mad. And Event Horizon really is just cosmic horror distilled into your veins. And according to some fans, it might be a prequel to Warhammer 40k, because you also go through hell quite literally in that too. Alrighty. Well, Dylan's gotta go. 
<laughs> Hellship. Uh, Alrighty. Normally, normally this is where we we stick in the advice for writing, but yeah. considering that Dylan has to go, and we're at about time anyway, uh, I think we can wrap it up. Okay. Sure thing. No mail today, Ian. No mail today. Uh, we do love to hear from our listeners, so if you want to shout into a caring void for a change, send an email to fanfictapes at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our YouTube channel or a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you listen to this show. Uh, you can also add us on Twitter, formerly X. Uh, our handle there is at FanFictionTapes with a capital F and a capital T in the usual spaces you'd expect capital letters. And now we'd best wrap up before we drive anyone else mad from the revelations. I have been Ian. Uh, I have been Dylan, your non-cosmic horror. And I have been Barry, on a ship traveling through hell. Until next time, bye! Bye!